on this past Monday, I was having a conversation with, with Becky and some of my kids uh, about the Super Bowl. And uh, we weren't actually talking about the game. We were talking about the halftime show. And uh, did anybody see the halftime show, the Super Bowl? Some of you are like, no, I want nothing to do with the Super Bowl. But the halftime show, uh, for those of you that missed it, it featured a bunch of like old school rap artists, people like Dr. Dre, Mary J. Blige. Uh, There's a few others that were in there, a Snoop Dogg, um, a couple others. And for a lot of people that were my age, it was the best Super Bowl halftime show ever. And it was nostalgia on steroids. It was like taking you back to the day and, and just helping you be instantly transported back to the glory days of youth, right? Well, as me and my kids were, were talking about the show, um, my kids shocked me on two different levels. Uh, first shock was that they actually knew who these people were at the halftime show. Um, they were, a lot of them, not even born when Snoop Dogg first came on, on the scene. But they knew, and the second thing that shocked me was that they even knew some of the lyrics to the songs. And uh, which for me as a dad is a little concerning due to, a, due to a lot of the lyrical content, shall we say, of a lot of these artists, which has a lot of stuff that's not really stuff you're, as you as a dad want your kids to be knowing. Um, but as we were chatting about this, somehow Jesus became a part of the conversation, and uh, that might have been me that snuck him in there. <laughs> And as we were chatting, we started wondering, where would Jesus be in that halftime show? And if Jesus were on the field, what's he doing at the halftime show? I don't know if your family ever talks about these kinds of things and wonders these kinds of things, but, but, but we, were, we, were, we were wondering this. Is he standing in the crowd with his arms crossed? Maybe he's up in the nosebleeds and he's just got like a sour look on his face. Um, is he down in the pit? waving his hands in the air, waving like he just doesn't care? Is, is he hopping up there on the stage with Dr. Dre and Eminem, you know, busting a couple rhymes, a couple yo-yos, a couple words, a couple whatever you say with that kind of stuff? Is he like substituting the, the, the worldly swear words for Christian swear words like shoot and darn it and that kind of stuff? What's, what is Jesus doing? What is he doing during the halftime show? And it got me thinking, you know, so often we kind of craft an image in our head of, of Jesus and who he is that's more a reflection of who we are than a reflection of, of who he is. And I don't have the answer to where Jesus was or would be in, in that halftime show. I, I can't say for sure, but, but we, we have these ideas about what he would or wouldn't do about what kind of personality he did or didn't have, about what kind of tone he'd use all these kinds of things, and a lot of time, our ideas of who he is are actually just flat out wrong, and we mistake him for somebody that he isn't, and uh, in this series, really what, what I'm kind of hoping and praying will happen is that we're going to kind of like un un unpack who Jesus is and, and help you see him for who he really is, and I've just been praying like crazy that as we do this, you will just be so attracted to Jesus. You will go, I want to know him, and, and not just know him, but I want to follow him and surrender my life to him. And one of the areas where this, where, where we kind of get it wrong, I think the, the most, is where we imagine him to be someone who's just very solemn, serious all the time. He's joyless. He's just somber. 
and, and the idea of him as a God of, of joy, the idea of him as a God who, who is happy, who's, who's lighthearted, and dare I say even playful, uh, just doesn't compute for a lot of us. And there's a number of reasons why I think this is. I think one of the reasons is, you know, as you read through the Gospels, these four books in the New Testament that really unpack the story of when Jesus was walking this earth, as you read through the Gospels, a lot of the time in the Gospels, it really kind of deals with the objective, kind of external aspects of Jesus' ministry. You know, there's no verses in the Gospel that say, Jesus laughed out loud, or that say, Jesus and the disciples were just having a great time and in the back, playing some backyard football. You're not going to read that kind of stuff. And, and so in the absence of verses about his interior life, what he was feeling, um, what, what he's, his personality is, it's easy to start kind of coming up with our own ideas. And we do that a lot of the time. Another reason I think that we get it wrong is, is that we, uh, maybe we grew up in a church and our church experience kind of taints our idea of, of G- who Jesus is. And for me, um, I, I grew up in the church and uh, had an older brother and a younger brother. We're, we're all three of us are just three and a half years apart. We're very close. And so growing up in church, um, my dad was a pastor, and my brothers and I, being kids, were always goofing off and laughing and all this kind of stuff. And I'll never forget the moment that we were in the middle of a, my, my dad was in the middle of preaching, and he stopped in the middle of his sermon and addressed the boys on the front row. We shut up really fast. But my, my mom was always correcting us, but the unintended message that we got was that church was not the place to have fun. Church was serious. It was about doing the serious business, serious business of heaven. Another reason I think we get it wrong when we, when we think about who God is, it, it just uh, is the, the images that have been produced of Jesus. And we've talked a lot about this in the last couple of weeks. You know, there's not a... There's, there's barely even, even a single picture out there of Jesus that doesn't portray him as being this serious, joyless, solemn, somber, dull, boring guy. I mean, he does not look like someone who, whose company that you'd want to be in. But you need to know that this is not the Jesus of the Bible. I love what Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, and, and a lot of times we, this, this is a very well-read verse in the church, and we we know this verse as, okay, if I'm heavy and if I'm going through something, I bring that burden to Jesus. But I want you to think about this in just even a little bit of a different twist uh, about how this verse really kind of helps show the heart of Jesus and, 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 and maybe even a little bit of his personality. It says this, and I'm going to be reading out of the message. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. This is Jesus saying, come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Freely and lightly. And what I hope to do this morning is show you from Scripture that, that, that if if the Jesus you've crafted in your mind is nothing but a joyless, serious, grumpy old man, you have mistaken the kind of person that Jesus really is. Yes, he is all-powerful. Yes, he is great and mighty. Um, yes, he is holy. And, and yes, as we're going to see in the, the weeks ahead, that he, 
he is, is a man that's familiar with sorrow and grief. He knows that, been, been through that, but don't miss that he's also the most joy-filled person in the entire universe. Joy was his idea. Joy actually radiates from his being. And there's a number of places where we see the joy in the lightness of Jesus in Scripture. First place is this. His joy can be seen in how he created this world. Um, I, I recently read this book called Beautiful Outlaw. It's a book about Jesus. It's written by this guy named uh, John Aldridge. And uh, in this book, he writes about how you can learn a lot about an artist by the work that they leave behind. So if you were to go and check out some of Vincent van Gogh's paintings, um, he lived a life that was filled with these really dark, intense um, emotions, misery. He, he suffered uh, depression, and it eventually even overtook his life. And his art, when you look at it, it actually reveals this. He paints in these like very like almost stressful kind of tones. And if you've ever seen his Starry Night, it's just like the whole universe is under stress and duress. If you're listening to Kurt Cobain of Nirvana and hear what kind of person he was, he was filled with angst and fear and bitterness. If you were to go and look at some of Bob Ross paintings, peaceful, gentle, lots of little happy trees, right? Reflects the, the man who had this very kind of gentle demeanor. And when it comes to creation, the Bible says, first of all, Jesus created everything. Um, John 1, 3, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. And the question is, what does, what does it reveal about him? Well, it turns out it reveals a lot. You can look at the Swiss Alps. You can go up to Mount Baker and look at the North Cascades and Shuxin, and it reveals his power. It reveals his majesty. The ocean, it reveals just how vast he is, and it reveals how the, the, the depths of his love. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you've, you've heard these kind of comparisons before. They're not new. However, have you ever stopped to consider what a dolphin flipping through the air reveals about God? Or, or how about polar bears? Anybody ever watched Planet Earth and how they will go sledding down these big, massive glaciers? Penguins diving one after another off of glaciers into these, this, this really cold, cold water. Um, we have a new kitten in our home. Kitten's name is Paris, and uh, pray for me, because as you know, I'm not a big cat fan. This is second cat now, um, and Paris loves to, to, to play. All she ever wants to do is eat, sleep, and play. She's always clawing up the back of our furniture, destroying it in the process, and, and just sneaking over the top. She's always chasing after string, even just this morning, threw a load of laundry into the dryer, and, and she's in that room just like going after my feet and just, just constantly, constantly playing. What do all these creatures reveal about the God who created them? He's a God who's not some sour man that we make him out to be. He's joyful, even, maybe even playful at times. There's, so we see it in, in, in creation. We also see his, his joy in the, the, the way, it, just the way he lived his life. If you read the, the four gospel, you get you get hints of his joy and lightheartedness all throughout the four Gospels. You have the wedding in Cana, the, the place where Jesus performed his, his very first miracle. And what, what's, what's he doing there at, at, at the wedding of Cana? Um, weddings back in the, in the 
the, the ancient times, even in Jewish culture today, they're very, very big deals. They would go on and on for, for days upon days. There are these big, massive celebrations. They were filled with drinking much wine, filled with dancing, lots of good times. And I wonder, as you think of Jesus at the wedding of Cana, where is your Jesus at? You know, is he, is he off on the sidelines with his arms crossed, distance in solemn, his brow furrowed with a, a judgy look on his face? Or is he in the middle of the party? You know, is he in the middle dancing with the guests and just having a good time, laughing, having the time of his life? Can I tell you where I'm pretty sure he is? He's enjoying the party. How do I know? Because when they run out of wine, which back in those days would have been a massive embarrassment for the host, what does Jesus do? Does he quietly slip away and go, okay, all these people that are dancing and stuff, they, they're getting what they deserve? Does, does he walk up to the host and say, hey, this is what, this is what you get for, for having such a good time? You should have been a little more serious. No, you know what he does. He goes and he finds um, six, about 20 to 30 gallons. He tells his, the servants to fill them up with water. And what does he do? He turns all that water into wine. And that, just to kind of help, help you wrap your mind around that, that would have been about 150 gallons of wine or 750 standard size bottles of wine. Jesus goes, we're going to keep this party going. And in the process, I'm going to reveal to you how good I am. I'm going to reveal to you how I came to bring life. And, and then, then there's the time where, where the disciples saw parents that were bringing their kids to Jesus, and they, the disciples decide to rebuke the parents. Jesus needs to be about doing the serious business of heaven. He doesn't have time for kids. And, and, and what does Jesus do? Well, the Bible tells us how he responds. It says this in Mark chapter 10. It says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And is there a period there in the story? Now listen to what happens next. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Question for you. Have you ever met a solemn, serious grumpy person who is comfortable taking children in their arms and who children seem to be okay with actually being in their arms? Me neither. But something about Jesus made parents go, we want our kids to be with him. And from everything we see in this story, kids were okay and at ease being taken up into his arms. Or what about the story where Jesus has just died, he's, he's rose again, and then along come these two grief-stricken guys who are leaving Jerusalem. These two men are sad, they're discouraged because of all the events that have just taken place. Jesus has been crucified. He's, he's, he's been buried in his tomb. The most important events in all of human history have just taken place. And how does the risen Jesus choose to tell the news to these two guys? He, he shows up alongside of them as they're walking down this road, and he chooses to conceal his identity from these guys. And then he tells them, he unpacks the entire redemption story. He talks about how, how Scripture points to him. And the Bible, it, it doesn't tell us his tone or expression here. 
I wish the Bible did that, but it, it doesn't do that. But think about it. What is Jesus likely feeling in this day? Is he feeling heaviness, sorrow? No, he has just accomplished the most important work in all of history. Death has been defeated. He's overjoyed in this moment. He's likely giddy with excitement. And you know those moments where, where something amazing has happened to you? Maybe you just got a killer score in golf or you just discovered an amazing deal on shoes at the mall. I don't know what it might be, but something amazing has just happened to you and you cannot wait to tell someone about it. And then when you go to tell that somebody about this amazing thing that's happened to you, 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 you can't help but suppress your grin. You just, you're, you're, you're just oozing excitement and joy. And I imagine that that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus, he's, he's tells the whole story about redemption. And then as it all comes to an end, the Bible says that they came to the edge of the village that these two guys were heading towards. And listen to what Jesus does. It says, he acted as if he were going on. Jesus feigns ignorance. He, he acts, the Bible says. He pretends. He's having fun with this. He's like, guys, it's been a blast, but hey guys, I need to get going on my way. It's been great hanging out with you. And, uh, and I, I just hope that everything kind of turns around, all the stuff that you're going through right now. But I'm sure it'll be fine. Take care. I'm out of here. He's feigning ignorance. And if we read between the lines here and try to imagine what's happening, I think you could probably say that Jesus is being playful here. I imagine him trying to contain that grin on his face as he's walking away. And of course, as the story goes, the men convince Jesus to come and stay a little bit at their house. And as they're in the house, they're, they're about to have dinner, and Jesus breaks bread. And the Bible says they instantly are aware that it's Jesus. And then what does Jesus do? He has some more fun with it. He vanishes out of their sight. Or what about when Jesus shows up to Peter and the rest of the disciples after the resurrection? They're all back fishing. They're having terrible luck while they're at it. And what does Jesus do? He shows up on the beach. And just like the two men on the road, they, they don't know that it's Jesus on the beach. And so, but Jesus hollers out to them. They're out, out on their boat fishing and they've had a, just bad, bad luck. And Jesus hollers out to them, hey, cast your nets on the other side. And they take their nets and they cast them on the other side and they just bring in this like massive haul of fish. And instantly, Peter knows that it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? The Bible says that he jumped over the edge of the boat and he swam like crazy to the shore. Now, what is Jesus doing in that moment? Is he going, Peter, you're so impulsive, dude. Like, really? Just row your boat to shore. The Bible doesn't say it, but my Jesus, I picture him with his head back, his hand on his gut, laughing as Peter's doing this. And then when, when Peter gets to the shore, Jesus has got this meal all prepared, and he's ready to offer Peter restoration. Powerful moment. You know, we have this picture of God that's often so, so wrong. I love what author John Eldridge says in this book. He says, laughter is from God. This one quality alone might save us from the religious veil that forever tries to come in and cloud our perception of Jesus. Laughter is from God. The Bible makes it very clear that every good and perfect thing comes from Him. Laughter is from God. And then 
Third thing is this. You know how, how you know how, where you see the joy of Jesus? You can see his joy in the way Scripture describes his kingdom. Scripture is not secretive or, or hidden when it describes life in the kingdom of God. In fact, one of the, the, the main reasons that Jesus came to this earth was to declare, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he goes on to describe in great detail what life is like in the kingdom of God. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And a kingdom is like its king. If a king is selfish, you have a selfish, protective kingdom. If a king is is just nothing but miserable, you have a miserable kingdom. If a king is lifeless, you have a lifeless kingdom. The kingdom reflects the king. And the Bible makes it very clear that, that our king is a joy-filled king. David said of God, he said, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The writer of Hebrews said, said this of Jesus, that, that God had poured out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. And then Jesus tells a story about what happens when somebody enters his kingdom and he compares himself to a shepherd who's lost some sheep. And what does he do? He leaves behind the 99 to go after that one sheep. And then listen to what happens when he finds his lost sheep. He says, and when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and call together his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, the Bible says that there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. The kingdom of heaven throws a massive celebration when the lost come home. More joy than you could possibly wrap your mind around. And then as Jesus is, is with his disciples at the Last Supper, he looks at them and says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And just for a second, let's pause and think about what's happening here. He says that, that they're going to be filled with whose joy? They're going to be filled with his joy. And he says this, like it's, it's a really good thing. It's a good thing that they're going to be filled with his joy. Now imagine if Jesus has lived his, his, he, those, those three years of ministry where he's got the disciples around him, he's walking this earth. Imagine if that Jesus was nothing but joyless, he was nothing but, but solemn, never happy, rarely smiling. Imagine it, it, that guy coming to the disciples and saying, hey, you're going to be filled with my joy. They're going to be like, mm, I'm not sure I really want that. But he can say this like, it's a good thing because it is a good thing. They do know Jesus. They have tasted and they've seen his joy. When he says they're going to be filled with his joy, it's the best news they could have ever had. He is a God of joy. And one day, when you and I see him face to face, you know how he's going to greet us? He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things come and share in your master's happiness. That's what he's going to say. And here's what, what you and I need to know. To follow Jesus is to be in close relationship with the most joyful person you could ever know. To be in Christ is to be in joy. To be full of Jesus is to be full 
of joy. To know Christ is to, to know joy. And his joy isn't a fickle kind of joy. It's not a flaky, forced kind of joy. It's the kind of joy that, that can carry you even through the darkest, darkest night. How do I know that? Because it carried Jesus through his darkest night. The writer of Hebrews, as, as he's describing the cross and, and what Jesus did, he, he says this. He says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He was, enabled, enabled, he was able to endure his darkest night because of the joy that he had. And I was thinking about this this morning, you know, just knowing that our, our church family right now is just experiencing so much grief and so much loss. I was kind of going, okay, God, is this even the right message for today? So I somehow like mixed it up. And, but, and I just think, like, how, how, how can you encourage people that are in the middle of the darkest night with a message on joy? How does that even make sense? And I think what God wants us to know is that even when, when, we're, when we follow Him, even when we're experiencing grief and pain and sorrow, we, we can still have the, 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 the power, the capacity to endure that because of joy. And Jesus shows us how, how it works. And, and he, he actually commands us to have this kind of joy. Matthew chapter 5, He's just shared all the Beatitudes you know, blessed are the poor and blessed are the meek, all these, these things. And then he says something that doesn't even make a lot of sense. He says, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of things against you. And then he says, rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. And I, and I think how this works, I think how this joy in the middle of, of darkness, in the middle of grief, in the middle of sorrow works, it, I, think it's this, I think it works like this. You know, right now in our church, we have, we have a, a lot of students in our church right now that are either at state or are going to state, um, whether that's um, in wrestling or in music or basketball, a lot of people that are, are in state. And for these students, uh, you know, we, we tend to see, at least those that aren't parents, we tend to see the, the joyful moments, the, the celebratory moments, the Facebook posts about, hey, we're off to state. But you know, to get there took a, a lot of hardship. It took a lot of difficulty. It took a lot of, of, of defeat, being in that ring and, and getting your butt kicked. But what, what do they do? They keep at it. They keep doing it. They keep, they keep facing the hardship. They keep facing the challenge. Why? For the joy set before them. They know that one day they might get to state. One day, they might even have a championship at state. But even if they don't get the championship, they have the, the joy of just knowing that they, they gave it their best. And I think that this is how it works when it comes to joy anchoring us, even in the middle of hardship. And it's only possible to have that kind of joy with Jesus. The world's joy is flaky. It can't, it can't carry you through the darkest night, but the joy that Jesus gives, it absolutely can. In the midst of sorrow and loss, you can be anchored like Jesus was. You can be anchored in joy even in those moments. God is, is not interested in keeping his joy to himself. He wants to give his joy away to us. I love what Jesus said just, just before the cross. He prayed this prayer. He said, Father, I say these things so that that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. 
And he was praying that prayer, not just for his disciples, he was praying that prayer for you and for me, that we would have the full measure of his joy within us. Which leads to the question, well, how do I receive it? How do I receive his joy? If he truly is a God of, of joy, if joy comes from him, and he wants to give that away from me, uh, to me, I, I don't know, how do I even go about receiving that? Well, let me just close by giving you a, a few thoughts on how to receive his joy. First thing is this. You, re you receive his joy by trusting in him. The writer of Psalm 40 said, Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. You can't know his joy when you don't trust him. It just does not work that way. You can still know moments of joy. You can have kind of moments where it just kind of comes and goes maybe. But, but if you want to know that like consistent, deep, lasting joy that's just not present in the good times, but it's also present, it's there to carry you through the most difficult times, that only comes when you trust Him. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. Because when you trust Him, you follow Him. When you trust Him, you obey Him. When you trust Him with your future, when you trust Him in the valley, when you trust Him in the middle of your pain and suffering, when you trust that He's good, that He's for you, that He loves you, you experience, you experience His joy even in those times. And then you receive His joy, not only when you trust Him, but when you live your life daily connected to Him. When you're, you're connected to Jesus, when you're abiding in Jesus. Galatians 5 makes it very clear that when, you, when you're connected to Him and living in Him, one of the fruit of the Spirit that's going to grow in your life is joy. You're going to have His joy. When you learn to talk to Him, to listen to Him, to, to spend time with Him, to, to Him. When, you're live, when you live your life dependent on Him for all your needs, your physical needs, your emotional needs, your spiritual needs, you will have that joy that can only be found in Jesus. And again, it's not a contrived joy. It's a joy that will grow like fruit on a well-watered, well-cared-for tree. And, and I believe that this morning, God wants to restore joy. He wants to restore joy. He wants you to know this kind of joy that, that He had. He wants you to know the kind of joy that, that He created. He wants to, you to know the kind of joy that when he says, hey, my prayer is that you would know the fullness, that you would be filled with my joy. He wants you to know that kind of joy. And maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're watching online. You're going, I've lost that joy. You know, I think one of the things that's going to happen over the next several weeks as we kind of move from the, just the heaviness of the last couple years is I think, honestly, there's going to be some great stuff. I think a lot of people are going to be going, man, I just feel like I lost something the last couple years. I feel heavier. I feel like I just don't have the, the joy that I once had. And I believe God wants to restore that. He wants to restore that. If you're here in the middle of something challenging and difficult, I believe that He wants to give you something that will just radiate in the middle of the, the valley he wants to give you something that, that people around will look and go, okay, how? How can you be like that in the middle of this darkness? 
He wants to give that to you. And so this morning, I would love to pray for us as a church. And if you're here this morning and you're going, that's me, I, just, I need to have my joy, joy restored. I just encourage you as I pray, just, just, just to receive. Maybe even put your hands out like this and go, God, I just want to receive your joy and faith today. So Heavenly Father, I thank you that, that God, you came that we might have life and that God, we might have life to the full. And part of that life is not just knowing freedom from our sin and, 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 and having you bring salvation from, God, what we deserve because of our sin. God, we thank you for the cross. And we thank you for everything that you accomplished on that. God, we thank you that, that God, we, we can, can be set free from the penalty, the wages of sin. But God, you also came, God, so that we could know your love, so that we could know your peace, God, so that we could know what it's like to walk with you. God, God you came so that we could know joy and, and the fullness of your joy. And so, Father, this morning, I want to pray, Lord, for anybody that is listening who has lost that. God, I don't know the circumstances. Maybe at some point along the way, they just, they stopped trusting you. They shifted from a place of joyful obedience and joyfully following you and trusting you to a place of just doubt and questioning and hardness, bitterness. And God, I pray that this morning, Jesus, you would give them the, God, the courage and the faith to once again just to trust you, to follow you. God, even in the, the middle of whatever uncertainty, questions that they have, that, that Jesus, they would be able to trust you in that. And Lord, I also pray, Jesus, for the person, God, that's maybe here and just has, maybe, maybe they've just fallen out of connection with you and as they've tried to live life on their own, they've stopped abiding in you and the fruit of that has been grief, it's been sadness, it's been, it's been nothing but just hardship. They haven't tasted your joy. God, I pray, Jesus, that Lord, as they abide in you and God, as they, as they follow you and connect with you, that Jesus, your fruit of joy would begin to once again grow in their lives. Let it grow in their lives, I pray. And Father, I just want to thank you so much that, that Jesus, you come to fill us with your, your joy, with your life. And God, I, I thank you, Lord, that that's, that's who you are. And God, I just want to, would pray, Jesus, the prayer, God, of, of that, that Peter wrote in Scripture where where God, he, he just writes about how we've, we've seen you and we love you. And, and, and because of that, because we believe in you, we're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And God, I pray that, that those would not just be words on a page for us. But God, I pray that those would be reality for us. God, may we have a joy that God, in a world of brokenness and pain and sorrow, God, it just shines like a bright, bright light for all to see. And that God, in that, people would see the beautiful, glorious person of Jesus. Father, I pray that, Lord, as we um, today, God, head off into our week and whatever this week looks like, Lord, I pray, God, that we would go in your power. I pray that we would go in your anointing. God, I pray that, Jesus, we would move throughout this week in our workplaces, God, in our homes, God, in our schools. God, wherever we might be, God, may we move throughout our week, God, abiding in you, connected to you, moving and working in your power with our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. And God, as we do that, I pray that, Father, you help us to be a light, to be, to be a people, God, that makes your name glorious. 
Lord, we love you so much. We love you so, so much. God, we pray all these things in your good name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Hey, just want to thank you so much for being here this morning and being a part of our service. Um, if you need prayer for anything, uh, you can track me down. I'm going to be hanging around. would love to pray with you. And um, if you're online, prayer.ctk.church, go there and just let them know your prayer request, and we will get our team praying for you. But other than that, have an awesome week, and uh, just go in the goodness 